Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great mercy. We thank you for another Sunday with which to take pause and remember uh, your first coming and the implications of that. Lord, as we um, are here today, we ask you to please draw near to us, Father. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you bless those that are sick, uh, strengthen those in our congregation and throughout your church at large that are, that are not well. Strengthen and bless them, raise them up, that they may praise you and serve you and extend your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're, we're going to be, uh, this is our last uh, Sunday school lesson of the year. The first thing I want to say is Christmas Day, New Year's Day, we won't have Sunday school. We'll start a new series uh, to be announced uh, here shortly, but uh, uh, when we get to the first uh, Sunday that's not New Year's Day, um, we'll start that in January. So no Sunday school the next two weeks. Uh, so I want to make sure that we communicate that. We'll do that again today at the service as well. Um, I'll probably even send it out on the realm, and I'll send out the emails as well, just getting it out, reminding everybody. Um, but, but as we consider uh, looking at Advent Psalms, and some of these I've taken from our, our, uh, the guide that I put out um, for each week, uh, potential readings. They're just helpful tools. If, I don't know if anybody has used them or glanced at them, but I hope they've been helpful in some way. Most of them were, were taken anyway. Um, we'll be looking at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And remember, the, the point of Advent is to look for the coming of the Lord. And as we've talked about again and again, the coming of the Lord, when He comes, He comes in two ways, but he always comes in both ways. He comes in judgment and mercy. And of course, we're always excited for him to come on the mercy and grace side. We're less enthusiastic about the judgment side. Um, as we look at, at Psalm 63 today, I want us to think about this. There is no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality. You know, why is it important that the church sing the Psalms? Why is it important that we sing the Psalms at home? Why is it important that we read the Psalms, we talk the Psalms, but certainly sing the Psalms? Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit wrote them. Because the Spirit of God, it's worship, right? Um, have you ever read anything in the Psalms or sang it and it made you uncomfortable? <laughs> right? Our human sensibilities are different than God's absolute truth. Right? And so it's important that we consider the fact that you're either for God or you're against God. There isn't some something in the middle, right? There is no compromise. You're either with God or you're against God. And so um, here today as we consider Psalm 63, I want us to recognize that there are enemies of God, which in fact means there's enemies to who? Us. The church on the whole. What about us individually? Right? You have Satan the accuser. Is he your enemy? What about those that he stokes to action? 
right? You know, when we think about this, and I think one of the things I'm really enjoying about, uh, unintentionally so, but is, uh, when, when, you, when you're preaching on Advent passages, and you're doing all your study in that all week, and then you're looking at Psalms relative to God's mercy and His judgment, and in, you, you see all this, you see how they, they kind of, of go together, but... Um, why is it that God comes in judgment to his own people? Because we don't live like he asks us to live or he tells us to live. He declares this is right, this is wrong, this is what you need to do. And um, he comes in judgment against his people. And it has implications generationally, it has implications uh, for other people groups, for other nations, for unbelievers. It, it impacts all of those things. I think it's important that, that we remember that when God, when God presents, he says, I'm going to come. The day of the Lord is coming, right? It's an opportunity to repent, right? As, as Jim Jordan says, whatever doesn't kill you gives you opportunity to repent, right? And, and in some ways, um, we, we, we're kind of halfway believers, right? We'll repent um, and then we hear that there's a little bit of relief, and we're like, good, my generation, we made it out, kind of like Hezekiah, right? And so at least it's not going to happen to me. But, but, but as I think about this, all week long I've been thinking about this, and I have children, and I have grandchildren, and I believe that the Lord, you know, is, is you know, going to come in judgment, and, and I think about this, Lord have mercy, because I think about the sins I've committed and how that has implications on the church, how it has implications on my, my wife and children and the generations to come. Lord, have mercy. I think it, it helps put us in the right mindset to be humble before God. And we know that Christ is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins. But let's not get hung up in being prideful. All right, so there's two parts of Psalm 63. Um, they, they kind of overlap a little bit, but basically the, the two parts are there's uh, asking God for relief from the sufferings that uh, the psalmist here, David, is is uh, addressing and, and, and facing. And then also the second half, again, it overlaps, is destruction of the enemies. Right? Now you think about that for a second. We get very uncomfortable with, with asking God to bring destruction to our enemies. Um, and, and so the question is, how do we as Christians approach this? How do we change from our sensibilities uh, to, uh, to the way that God would have us approach this, right? Well, it's, it's ironic because uh, the heathen takes no issue with damning someone to hell in the name of God. Now, we are not called to quite do that. But it is interesting that they're edgier than us, kind of in the way that I, I, I think. Yeah, they don't they don't have an issue with it, and and we do because I think maybe of a false sense of exactly what it means to be light to them. Maybe I don't know is that the direction you're headed. No, I th- I, I think there's that tension there, right? Like yeah. we try to figure that out, and and you know I I think too if we if we consider these things and ask the broader question 
Am I behaving? Am I ordering my life where I'm becoming an enemy of God? Right? I, th- I think that's, a, that's a, a question, right? So, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And, Lord, those that are railing against you, you know, bring them to repentance or remove them. Right? I was going to say a quick side note on the sensibility thing of why it's important to get into the Psalms. I'll never forget, it was like one of the first Sundays we were here, and I think it was Cecil. I, uh, I, I asked him what his favorite song to sing in church was. And I, you know, I grew up in hyper evangelical. Like, I, I grew up at that age listening to Chris Tomlin, right? And you hear Cecil saying, Oh, Jehovah God of Vengeance, that's my favorite song. And I was like, Oh, all right, what are y'all singing at this church? Um, but, but, um, but I think, and how that orders us here is, I think one of the reasons why we're even offended by what the scripture is saying about how the righteous ought to be positioned towards the wicked is we know inside, like, oh, but I, but I deserve that. But we fail to recognize that the, the destruction that we, that we do deserve was laid upon Christ. Like the, so what, what the scripture is saying is going to happen to the wicked because God is just. God still was just in dealing with our sins. They really did kill Christ. Our sins did that. And so in that way, we could be justified in reading and singing and believing these songs because the error of our ways has been dealt with. Um, the Lord made us repentant, but the wicked not so much. And so it's, it's interesting to, yeah, to, to wrestle with what the Scripture is saying and believe it and do so in a balanced way. And I think, too, we can find places where the righteous are tarrying for the wicked. They're praying hard to God. You can think of Abraham. You can think of Moses where they're, they're crying out on behalf of others who have, who have stumbled and fallen or are disobedient to God. Um, we, we, we need to be doing that as well. All right, so it's, it's just 11 verses. I have somebody that would like to read um, Psalm 63. All 11 verses. Okay. Okay. Speak up so the whole room can hear you. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. You know, when, when we consider this... It, uh, it says, a psalm of David when he is in the wilderness of Judah. Um, I've never been to Israel. Who's been to Israel? You've been to Israel. Oh, Sean Cooley. Okay, you've been. But he, Sean's not here. But you two guys have both been. Um, the, the wilderness area. Um, 
Um, how's that look? Uh, desolate. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty sparse. It's hard to imagine when David was fleeing Absalom and he's taking his people and he's running out that way, that that would be the place you'd want to take all your people, right? But but uh, that certainly seems to be um, the the case, and that they're they're it's, just go it's ahead. Like the swamp of despair, they're not going to follow you in there, so you, it's a good place to hide out. As a, uh, Princess no Bride reference there. Right, right, right. Um, my kids would have been all over it. But <laughs> so, so, uh, but but he's out in this this desperate wilderness area. He's fleeing from his enemies. Uh, could very well be um, Absalom, um, and we we see that he he starts out and, oh God, you are my God. And in that first phrase, you know, he, he's, he's crying out to God, and the first one is calling out to God. And the second one, when you see this in Scripture, it, it, it is really, it kind of denotes or points us to, you know, I'm calling out to God, and, and you are the mighty God. You're the powerful one. You, you are the omnipotent one, and that's why I'm calling upon you. And so, um, you know, David starts out by calling God for God, but then he says, and you're the mighty God, you're the omnipotent one. Um, you're in fact, and when you say omnipotent one, I think that goes into the sovereignty of God, right? You're at work in this hard thing that I'm facing and in this, this desperate place that I'm in. And he says, early I will seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And this, this word early here, um, he, he, it's, it's really the dawn of the day. It's an early part of the day. He's, he, it isn't like he slept in and he's under duress, I'm going to sleep in or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. It, it, it almost puts forth the picture that he was lying in bed or lying there on the ground in the wilderness and he was wide awake when the sun breaks over the horizon, right? So he's, he's, he's early uh, looking at that. And, and we can see something similar to this in Psalm 57, 8. Who would like to, to read that? Psalm 57, verse 8. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I looked down and was thinking, and I'm sorry. And uh, just a reference making us th- think on those things. And when he goes on to say, my flesh longs for you, my, so- my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, he is projecting that this is his whole man, every bit of him, both that which is uh, uh, made of flesh and that which his soul, which is eternal, is, is looking and longing and thirsting for him. And then there's this contrast of being thirsty and longing and then being in the dry and thirsty land where there is no water. When we think of water in the scriptures, what does that bring to mind? New birth. New birth, okay. So through the waters of baptism, what else? What, but, but, but let's go back to you know, my, what appears to be my favorite book of the Bible, Genesis. Right? So you have 
Um, when, when you see the waters, what do you also see? And, and the Spirit of the Lord hovers over the waters. So he's, he's longing for God. He's longing for the Spirit. And he, he's in a physically dry place, in a, in, in a thirsty land where there is no water. And there's almost this imagery of, I'm calling out to you, God, but, but I'm, I, I need your Spirit. All of me needs you. There's kind of this, this contrast or, or imagery there. That's when you're out in the ocean. That, that yeah. doesn't apply. Um, but, yeah. So in verse 2, he's, he's recalling back when he still had access to the sanctuary. Because he's now cut off from it, right? That's right. So uh, it's just kind of a weird thing to drop in there. How, how, why do you, what, how do you read the significance of that being dropped in right after his, his flesh, flesh fainting for... God. I think it's the restoration of things because in the in the commentary of this that I read re- relating to this, it really made a point of the fact that this is past tense, right? You know, so you you could read so um, I have beheld, yeah, um, and and in this way, um, he's beheld God in the sanctuary, and and so now the the contrast is. Um, you could almost read this where you where you could put the second phrase first by saying that um, you know I, I you know when you talk about he's longing for you and then say to see your power and glory like I have seen yeah. in the sanctuary. Well, so what what I think I'm seeing is it being sandwiched between verse one and verse three. You know the old Looney Tunes cartoons, the guy's starving out on a boat and he starts. He starts having hallucinations that the guy in the boat with him is a ham sandwich or something. Or, or, uh, rather, rather than fantasizing about water, he's recalling what he loves better than life itself. He's not allowing himself to focus on the hunger pangs or the thirst. He only wants to have access to the sanctuary again. I think I think that's a good point. We'll call it the the Looney Tunes uh, commentary. Right. That's that's aside from the point, but yeah. no, 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 no. I I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. But what I mean is that that's a good illustration. The the visuals of it. Um, I, I I think in that when it he first talks about his weakness because he's he's uh, expressing how he feels in the flesh, like we I do if I'm going through trials or whatever. I'm thinking about how hard my circumstances are, but to. Tr- to try and refocus my thoughts to God so that I can go ahead and get through the circumstances knowing that he's there for me no matter what. So I think that's where it's he's recalling something that can be encouraging for him so he can get through this knowing God is going to help him through this no matter what. And, and I, th- I think, too, we got to remember because it, it does say both um, the, the soul and the flesh that, that when God meets our needs it's not just on some spiritual level but it actually has tangible things in our the world right here with us so sometimes the relief is actually in our physical bodies as as well Um, so verse three because your loving kindness is better than life my lips shall praise you and and 
when, this word life here has kind of a deeper thing. He's not just saying my current life, right? Your loving kindness is better than my current life. That's pretty easy to say when you're in the depths of difficulty to say, yep, being with God is better than being in this. But, but it has a larger connotation to say that, that it is any life that you could have, right? Even the, the least life you can have in God um, is, is better than being in the, his, the least bit of, uh, of you know, as, as uh, he talks about being in, I'd rather be, you know, just at the doorway to God's house than in the, the palaces of, of uh, the wicked. And so um, I, I think that it is good for us to recognize that, that God's loving kindness is really better than anything we could have, and we, we need to let him define what those are. And because of that, his response of God's loving kindness and the goodness of um, following him is to, is to take his lips and to praise him, right? And, and to actually take his body and give praise to God. In, in verse 4, it says, Thus I will bless you while I live. And this word live here is really being restored to life, which I think goes back to being restored to the sanctuary, right? Where, where we, we can say, Thus I'll bless you while I live with an anticipation of being restored to, to life. And he says, I will lift up my hands in your name. So again, there's there's this there's taking both your lips and singing to God and then also taking your body and using your body uh, in praise. Because let me ask you all this question: Have you ever come to church on a Sunday and you weren't really feeling it when you walked in? Right? I, anybody in the room say no? I've never been like that. We need to have a talk. I want to know what's happening with you. Right. It's kind of like, hear, you know, like uh, talking about hearing the word, and so physically allowing our body to lift up and praise Him can also bring like an acknowledgement of joy. You know, um, it, if you just still stay walking like this, humped down, you're you're not going to be able to receive His His uh, blessing or whatever you're going through at that time. But you can stay and count it all joy and all circumstances, which is hard to do. And, and I think sometimes because we've been very blessed growing up in the, the country that we're in and we really haven't seen war here. I, I think about our our brothers in Michalov. I didn't put this out, but they, in Ukraine, um, but they got hit uh, on Friday. Well, would yeah, it would have been there Friday, but our early morning Friday. But um, And basically the, the Russians totally wiped out their entire... Uh, infrastructure, both water and um, electricity, and 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 I, all I'm saying is that's sort of like what what he's feeling like, and and in that, you know, we need to stand up, we need to worship God, we need to take physical action in the midst of what looks like utter defeat and being wiped out. Jonathan, I, I think something that might be lacking in that is there certainly seem he's not just randomly lifting his hands. He's lifting his hands in, in thanks, 
and uh, his son Solomon, we later see uh, at the prayer dedication for the temple, says, if you do sin and you're carried away from the presence of the Lord, this is what you must do. If they repent with all their heart and all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray toward this land that I have given you. And we see Daniel do that. Daniel goes out on his balcony. Now, David is not in exile because of his own sin. He's in exile because of the sin of the leadership under which he is running away from. But so I think it's a directionality. He, he's mentioned the object of his fixation, which is presence with the Lord, which at this point was a very physical thing. That presence is in the temple. And he's cut off from it, but he's also acknowledging that's, that that's what he wants, and he, he hopes that God still hears him. And So it's a bit anachronistic because this is his son who prays this prayer of dedication. But uh, and, and, you know, the, this wasn't really the temple. This uh, well, What was it at the time? The uh, tabernacle. Tabernacle, right. right. Yeah, so... Um, so so there's a there's a reference in my notes here to Psalm 34 2, which says, "My soul shall make its boast in the Lord; the humble shall hear of it and be glad." Oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's verse three, and let us exalt His name together, which which speaks and lends itself to the assembly uh, being together. Um, so what, I, I think a practical application just for us is when we are feel, um, having difficulty. Um, Come together as the people of God, right? But also in, in your own home, when you guys are, are, are facing difficulty, um, sing and glorify God together. Um, verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Now, this is really interesting because, um, you know, marrow and fatness in the scripture, that, that, that clearly references feasting great supply, all your needs being met. It's kind of like the pinnacle of things. One could almost say like how we are from Thanksgiving to New Year, you know, with Christmas right in the middle where it's, there's, there's parties, there's feasting, there's all this stuff going on. But, but, you know, he'll be satisfied as if he's at the time where he has all the providence and supplies that God has. And, and then he says, And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. This is, I think, really important. It's going to praise God. Because God is the object of his worship. Okay, and God, I know, is a person. But, but what I'm saying is, um, what's idolatry? The work of your hands. The work of your hands? Right. Worshiping the work of your hands, um, right? There, in other words, we have a different object of worship. Whether it's, I mean, it's all in one sense a work of our hands. Whether it's, it's money, or uh, sex, or I- any kind of other things, family, that we can put in. But we need to, we need to check um, our idolatry. I think one question that has to come. In all of this is to say, when you're under duress, right, there's, there's always two questions, I think, uh, right in front of us. Have I been sinning against God, right? And if not, God, what are you trying to teach me here? And, and I suspect there's always something to repent of. But then, but then to say, okay, Lord, um, you know, what, what, what are you trying to teach me here? What, what, what actionable things do you want me to do? And, 
And David is saying here, I, I recognize that God, um, I, you know, I'm going to worship him as if all my needs are met. I'm at the, the, just the happiest, most joyous time and place in my life. Verse 5 is uh, mirrored in 11 as well. Uh, he, he is saying that he's out in the desert. There's no grocery store around the corner, but he will be full as though he had just finished a six-course meal and he's sucking the marrow out of the last bone there on the table. But then in, in 10, the people who are seeking to destroy him, who in the specific case here, this is a royal retinue that is very well supplied with supply lines, they will be themselves become the food of, of wild animals. They, That's right. They have a guarded camp. They have all that, but they're the ones that are going to get eaten by dogs. And this, David means this very literally. We see with like Jezebel, you know, her blood is lapped up and, and dogs are munching on, on her hand. Um, just after she finishes her makeup, and uh, you know, I, I think David really, David really means means this, and uh, you know, yeah, even yeah. though he didn't really get the meal, the meal is God, and those people who have the meal, they're going to be food for the worms. So, yep. So, so this my, my next note in in connection. So maybe we can see four and five uh, verses four and five connected to the point that uh, Jonathan was making. Um, if somebody would turn to Psalm chapter 5, verse uh, 7, um, I think you will see that it, it connects together to what uh, Jonathan had brought up. Anyone? Oh. Yep. Uh, Josh Greek. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. So, so we, we, we can see this together. And, and yes, there's a, at that time, um, the land, a particular geographic spot uh, of the temple or tabernacle, all those things are all, um, those were all true. And so there was an object there of, of we pointed ourselves in that direction. Um, I think today this leads us to also the raising of hands um, towards you know God's throne in heaven, uh, but 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 we, you know the whole point is yes. Look look and and believe God for the richness of His grace, and His grace is sufficient for us. And thus praise Him even in the face of such dire circumstances. Yes, I was just going to say I think it's really important because we've we've talked on this a lot to this point, uh, but I want to be very direct in attacking all our pietism. Um, usually a lot of Reformed folk of the MacArthur variety, the Calvinistic Baptist variety, they really look at verse 6 when it says, and I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. And they're like, yes, like meditating on the scripture and the holiness of God and being satisfied and such. And of course, I'm not going to disagree with that. But one of the things that we fail to understand because of the way that we think as opposed to the Hebraic way of thinking is when David was saying, I look for you in the sanctuary, we've really harped on that, whether it's the bowing towards Jerusalem and the, the raising of hands. They're talking about objective means for security in their relation to God. And a lot of times, like, we, we fail to recognize that, that God has pr- produced objective means, the waters of baptism, the partaking of Christ in the supper, objective means by which we can be comforted. Because the more and more you look on the inside, congratulations, you're going to be wanting. While, of course, we're supposed to be reflecting on how God is working in our lives and, and our internal delight towards him, 
as we've already discussed, that's there's gonna be times where you're just you're not feeling that. And if you're constantly looking for that security, again, you're gonna be left wanting. So we ought to train ourselves to uh, rely upon the objective means God's given. And we can, believe it or not, do that without being Roman Catholic. I know that's a lot of our evangelical scare is if, oh, if we, if we turn to these other means and we're, we're finding salvation in other places. No, there is a, a right and fitting way to do so. But I think it's important that we recognize in order to be biblical, we can't look at what the Bible has said as an objective assurance of salvation and say, well, okay, well, I don't want to get too, too reliant on those things when David's clearly doing that in here and other Psalms. When when you were you said you were going to attack our pietism, I thought where you were going to go with this in verse six is what you're talking about. Sorry, um, as a kid when I read this, I was like, well, I guess I'm only getting into heaven if I wake up in the middle of the night and read my Bible. Yeah. But I, I think he's I think he's I think, I think he's literally saying, you know, they were a hunted group. They would keep a watch, probably tending the fire, or maybe maybe they didn't even have a fire to be visible at night, making sure. As a scout, they were probably on a high point looking for people sneaking up on them. And he's saying, I would use that time to reflect on you rather than worrying. Yeah. And uh, so if you have a night, if you drive around in an ambulance at night, sure, you know, read your Bible when you're not going to a call. But the, I, I don't think it means you, may, you need to wake up at 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really used to feel guilty because I didn't do that. I was like, I'm not like David. Clearly, I'm not as holy as yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I think I think to, to how this applies to us a little bit and just – I want to make a couple no- notes here, and then I'm going to pick up the pace just a little because we've got about seven or eight minutes left. Yeah, shut up, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right, here we go. So I remember you on my bed. I meditate on you, and, and this wor- the, that article on there really could be read as in, maybe even better, I meditate in you in the night watches, okay? Um, if you're under duress, let's be honest. Have you ever tossed and turned at night or you keep waking up and the stuff is just weighing on you? Um, so, so I think the practical side is, yes, we're not out in the wilderness, but we can be in places where we're under great duress and we are tossing and turning and we become awake and, and we need, to, be, we need to, to recognize that throughout the night watches. And, and historically in the Bible, there are three night watches. Excuse me, I'm just going to mention a couple here. In Lamentations chapter 2, um, there's the first watch. We can see in Judges chapter 7, kind of a middle watch. And in, in Exodus chapter 14, um, you can see the morning watch uh, brought out. And I only to say that when you wake up under duress, when you're up all night under duress, right, um, meditate in Christ. Remember, you are in Christ. You are in relationship with the Almighty God, right? And that leads us to uh, verse 7, because you have been my help, okay, and have been my help. We think about how he has been faithful. What has he done? He has, first of all, for us, saved us from our sins, delivered us, um, and, and set us free from the bondage of sin. And, and so this should strengthen us, Okay, and, and then, of course, we see very powerfully there, you know, it says this, Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I'll rejoice. Could I get someone? I'm going to read out uh, several, three sets of verses here. Psalm 17, verse 8. Somebody get that, raise your hand, and I'll go on to the next one. Jonathan. Psalm 36, 7. Psalm 36, Jen. And then Psalm 61, 4. Psalm 61, 4. Timothy, okay. 
All right, Jonathan. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is the mercy God, and the sons of mankind take refuge in the shadow of his wings. And Psalm 61, 4. And, and, and we know that even Jesus himself, looking at Jerusalem, spoke in such a way to a rebellious city that was rejecting their Savior. He said, I have always longed to bring you under my wings, right? And, and there is great comfort in that. Because he's delivered us, we can know that we can certainly be protected under the wings of God. And therefore, we're going to rejoice. Verse 8, my my. Soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, this is really kind of interesting. When you look at my soul follows close behind you, all right, I'm going to use this reference because when you get into what this word means and you look at it a little more closely, it's cleaves, follow hard. Mama, have you ever had your children clinging to you so hard in a day that it was almost impossible to get anything done? Right, um, I, I you know you, you can see that visual of of clinging and cleaving so tightly that you know even when you you know go into the restroom and close the door, the little hands stick under the door, you know, going after you. You know, it reminds me of of the admonition of being persistent, like the persistent widow, right? Just pursuing God. So we, we want to say that. We are, we are going to follow after God hard because his right hand upholds me. And, and there's, you know, just I'll throw out the references if you're jotting anything down, but Psalm 17, 8, Psalm 36, 7, Psalm 57, 1, and Psalm 61, 4 all talk about God's right hand. That's, that's the strong arm of the Lord bringing deliverance. Exodus 15, 3. Uh, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. I, I think the right hand, David says, if I ever forget you, may my right hand for, forget what to do. He, it's his sword hand. Sure. It's, it, you're, you're walking behind him because he has your sword and your shield out in front of you that's going to fight before you. So uh, I, do, you, do you read it like that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think it's, it's, the, it's all of this. Bert, all right, I'm going to just knock through 9, 10, and 11 here. But those who seek my life... This is where it shifts. To destroy it shall go to the lower parts of the earth. Um, we can think about this, um, you know, it can certainly mean death, like as in Psalm 55, 15. But also you can think of the situation with Korah in Numbers 16, where the earth swallows up the enemies of God, those are, that are in complete rebellion. There, there can be physical things that God does in this way. Verse 10, they shall fall by the sword. And this really understanding, this fall by the sword, it is poured out actually on their own sword, right? This reminds us of other places in Psalms where it references, um, may the trap they set go upon them, all those kinds of things. And of course, as Jonathan pointed out earlier, they shall be a portion uh, for jackals, that is to say, left out in the street to be simply eaten. There's no... There's no, like, ceremony and remembrance, but rather they're just eaten. And, and finally, in verse 11, but the king, that is David himself here, and he says, shall rejoice. Okay? And he'll, he'll rejoice 
um, in God, with God. And then he says, everyone who swears by him shall glory. You can swear by God in the sense of you can stand firmly and know that it is true and that his promises will keep you. And then it says, in contrast, but the mouth of those who speak lies will be stopped. It will be the defeat of the false and treacherous insurgents like we find in, in Psalm 62, verse 4. Um, so as we think about this in, in reference to, to, to where we live and the, and the challenges that we face now and in the future, be full of humility. Recognize that you're, that, that you're in Christ. He's the one that's forgiving you. And at the same time, we can stand firm and push back against the enemies of God, right, and, and ask for God to come bringing both deliverance um, to his people and then also bringing judgment, vengeance, and destruction on those that rage against God. And, and I would say, remember this. You know, be tarrying before the Lord for lost souls. In prayer, in interaction, I think of two interactions I've had in the last 10 days or so with people that are that are not Christians that are struggling and, and, you know, part of the response is let's give them God's word and pray so that the spirit, I actually told one of them because we got into the weeds pretty deep and, and I said, listen, my responses to you are going to be God's word and I'm going to be praying that the spirit opens your eyes to see and understand, right? Be, be forward in that, you know, because sometimes we get in this thing like I can argue and I can be winsome and you know, like in other words, can I formulate the best argument? No, it's the Spirit of God that's going to transform people's Amen. lives. Okay, and so even when we when we're praying, right? And I know we pray for the government, but we pray for the lost. We pray for the churches. We we need to be mindful of tarrying before the Lord for those that are uh, in rebellion to God. Uh, yes, sir. Can, can you explain what's no such thing as neutrality? Was that the title for this? Or was, were you just, was that a phrase you introduced this, uh, to us with? Because if it was the title, I, I didn't completely understand how. I, I was simply, in, in a number of things, actually looking towards this week, and I uh, reread uh, Christianity and Liberalism by Machen, and it just reminded me more and more of the fact, and, and you hear, you know, Doug will say this from time to time, and others as well, you know, there is no such thing as new, neutrality. Right, and so um, actually, the introduction in one of the commentaries talked about how there are clearly enemies of God, and and we can call out. And so, again, it's about our sensibilities. We're we're uncomfortable, so cause, so sometimes we kind of treat some people or some issues as they're sort of neutral, but they're not. So that that was really me introducing a larger concept to help us push back against the warm, trying to stay warm and fuzzy in our heart. And, and, and no, I mean, that's, that's human nature, right, to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, you'll also see this. David was, was quick to forgive and restore people, and we need to do the same, even though we, we ask for God in these deliverances. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this day. Again, Lord, we look to you for um, all our needs. 
Father, we thank you that you are, um, you do cover us with your wings, that you are the strong arm that protects us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you, true to your word. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you please prepare our hearts for the renewal of your covenant promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen.